You see a lot of uh, landlords and, and the like who will not rent to somebody who has a distribution charge or a trafficking charge on their record. Um, furthermore, you're not going to get the good jobs. I know, like for me, I have I, I have felonies, you know, like mine are nonviolent drug drug offenses. However, that prevented me from promotions that prevented me from certain jobs. It even prevented me from being able to do things with my daughter's school. I couldn't even participate at that level of society, even though I'm paying taxes, even though my daughter goes to that school, I could not go and help monitor the halls. I couldn't go on the field trips. So you, you created a second class citizen and, and, and what you did in doing that is you've taken hope from somebody. You've taken hope that they would be able to truly find redemption, truly find um, a pathway to become what they didn't think they could be, you know, once upon a time. And so it's no wonder why these policies continue to create a bigger issue uh, among people who get ensnared in the system. It's insidious. It really and truly is. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to this week's Trash Talks. Joining me this week, my guest, host of the Clean Libertarian Podcast, we have Drew Cook. What is going on, man? Thank you so much for uh, the flexibility, <laughs> for for bearing with me while we tried to get this to happen, man. I'm I'm looking for. I've been looking forward to this. I'm glad we got it done. Yeah, this is uh, this is like date number five. Just things are just going back and forth. <laughs> Something came up. I mean, even of all things, COVID reared its head. <laughs> oh my God, and it whooped my ass too. Yeah, like it 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 put me down for a minute, but we're we're okay. We're all right. <laughs> Yeah, no, I had I had it a while ago. It uh, it weirdest like just fog and back pain though, just like weirdest symptoms. Yeah. Like do, like everyone keeps like, I hear mostly people with, like flu like symptoms. I don't know. I just got back pain, but I hear that's common. I, I got it all, man. I got the congestion, the lap, at the smell and taste was gone. I was just like laying there in bed, like man, swing low, sweet chariot. You know, like it was just it was not fun there for a minute. No. But we we're all right. Yeah, dude, my girl, she, she smells like she, she says certain people now just like, uh, like her, she got like some change in her smell. She says certain people just smell like, she says like rotten meat now to her, like just all the time, just like certain people should, should just walk by and it just smells like rotten meat. Some dude, I've heard that. I've heard that like people also have like their taste, like months afterwards, like certain foods they can't eat anymore. Yeah. That's like, crazy. As a fat guy, like that would ruin my life. I don't think I could like that. Like if my favorite foods didn't taste good anymore, I'm really glad I didn't get that. Yeah, I know. Seriously, you know? I've I've like yeah, I've been feeling pretty bad for her. she's she's lost a lot of uh, a lot. You know what though? It wasn't her favorite foods, but she lost a few. <laughs> Damn it, man. Yeah, but uh, oh, actually, she lost soda. Sprite and Coke taste like shit what? to her now. Yeah. That might not be a bad thing though. Yeah, I know. In the long run, <laughs> poison. You know. Um, I say that as I'm drinking a fucking Sprite. So. Seriously, I just had a bang, dude. We were talking about bang before this, man. <laughs> we have no room to talk about what's bad. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Hey, so um, why don't you give a little introduction on yourself? Uh, just talk a little bit about what you do. 
So I am the host, uh, like you said, of the Clean Libertarian podcast. And um, essentially what I do is I, I try to be the Walmart version of Scott Horton if he was like really into uh, ending the war on drugs like he is ending the wars uh, overseas and abroad and all that. So um, I come at it from a perspective of somebody who is actively involved in 12-step recovery. Uh, so on the podcast, what we do is we have a lot of people on sharing their story. Um, and I also bring on different activists of, of you know, different sorts. You know, I've had people on talking about their needle exchange, just had Dr. Carl Hart on. He's the author of uh, Drug Use for Grownups. Very interesting guy that dude is. So uh, for those who don't know, he's the Colombian professor who openly does heroin recreationally and uh, kind of comes out of that. So we got people getting clean and people getting high. You know, we're just kind of hanging out over there at the Clean Libertarian podcast. And uh, one one thing you push for while, while you do uh, push for people, you know, getting help, finding sobriety in any way that they can and, you know, taking more control of their life. Like you said, this guy is able to do it in a way that he he manages and it doesn't really affect his life. He's like an occasional user. And uh, I mean, there's been a, I, I read an article about some CEO who did that. He's like, yeah, I'd do it. The next couple of days would suck, but uh, it was worth it. <laughs> now I wouldn't yeah, do it all the I time. Mean, I think that, and, and like, you know, he alluded to, and he, here's the thing is that this, this, particular person he's a neuroscientist does a lot of research so i mean he's got like data to back it all up but yeah. you know the numbers show that there's actually a lot more people who don't have an adverse effect and don't end up ruining their lives yeah then there are you know cats like me who just couldn't fucking handle it you know but um those type of people are not allowed to, to talk about that. You know, that's yeah. not like something you can openly discuss, you know, really it's taboo. Yeah. Like uh, one thing I've, I've heard is like the percentage of uh, Vietnam vets that were like trying uh, opioids over there and the amount that came back and the second that they were home with their family and stuff, they didn't really need that anymore. They, uh, they just kind of reverted back to regular life. They left that over there. And yeah, uh, yeah it, 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 it's like, more more than kept doing it, got over it after trying it, which you think still with the trauma of war, uh, you would think like, you know, because there's a there's a lot of uh, vets with substance abuse problems. But uh, somehow in that case, no, more of them just kicked it. It was bad there and it was associated with all that bad stuff and uh, came over and kicked it afterwards. Yeah, it was almost a cathartic experience for them to switch it up, I would imagine. Yeah. You know, that's just my uh, 100% hypothesis. But, you know, coming back home and, you know, not picking up the dope, you know, God knows it was here too. It wasn't a, it wasn't an issue about, you know, supply or anything like that. Like that era of America, like that would do to heroin was everywhere, especially in metropolitan areas like that shit was booming, yeah. you know? Uh, but, uh, what I was getting at before with, uh, saying that you focus on like helping people, you still, another thing you advocate for though, is like, well, you had already said the full legalization of drugs. Like this is, mm -hmm. uh, it's not like, you know, you, you want to make uh, dry counties everywhere and get people away from drugs because no. I, I think we both agree that doesn't really work. Not at all. I mean, anybody and I struggle with this, like even talking to fellow members of the recovery community who aren't attached to my podcast, you know, like uh, my sponsee brothers and, you know, people that I'm, I'm really close with, like they just cannot, for whatever reason, make that next logical conclusion that. Hey, I was able to do drugs, even though they're illegal. 
maybe if they were legal, we would be able to have a little bit of a safer outcome and get more newcomers into the door instead of dead in the ditch somewhere. Um, to me, it's, it's, it's logically consistent to take my position, but I also 100% understand why that isn't the uh, place that a lot of people wind up, you know? Yeah. And uh, I'm, I mean, the way I see it, it's like, so people, people are going to have access to this no matter what. You're not going to stop it. You're going to create a, just a high, you, all you're ever going to do is inflate the prices. That's all you can really do with any attempts at prohibition. And what, what does it really, like, I get some people, like, like um, you said before this, you had a buddy, went to jail one time, over it. I don't know how he'd feel. Maybe he thought that was good for him. And uh, it, it just comes straight. But for a lot of people, that first thing puts a stain on their career. And when they get out, they're now at a disadvantage. They now have a harder time getting jobs. They now have more reasons to, you know, feel bad and revert to using or whatever. Absolutely, man. It's a barrier to entry into, you know, mainstream society is what it is. Um, you see a lot of rent controls or not, not rent controls is the wrong word. You see a lot of uh, landlords and, and the like who will not rent to somebody who has a distribution charge or a trafficking charge on their record. Um, furthermore, you're not going to get the good jobs. I know like for me, I have, I, I have felonies, you know, like mine are nonviolent drug, drug offenses. However, that prevented me from promotions that prevented me from certain jobs. It even prevented me from being able to do things with my daughter's school. I couldn't even participate at that level of society, even though I'm paying taxes, even though my daughter goes to that school, I could not go and help monitor the halls. I couldn't go on the field trips. So you, you created a second class citizen and, and, and what you did in doing that is you've taken hope from somebody. You've taken hope that they would be able to truly find redemption, truly find um, a pathway to become what they didn't think they could be, you know, once upon a time. And so it's no wonder why these policies continue to create a bigger issue uh, among people who get ensnared in this system. It's insidious. It really and truly is, yeah. um, especially after so long. Right. Like it, it would almost be understandable if like, I don't know, shit, five years ago, we started this war on drugs. Yeah. Like maybe we're still waiting for some more data to roll in. But dude, we've been at this for a long time, man, I know. for a long time, you know, and not to you know, mention the devastating effect it has on other nations that supply us and stuff like it. it we, we've created these crime syndicates almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the uh, I had the guy. His name is eluding me. I had him on, but. He has a book called Rackets, the War on Drugs, and he talks about how our foreign policy is so closely attached to drug policy that we we lord over these other countries and we will absolutely withhold funding. I say we, that's not me. I mean, that's the bullshit politicians, but um, you yeah. know what I'm saying. I get you. Um, we will we will prevent funding and and, and withhold uh, any kind of foreign aid or anything like that if they don't align their drug policy with what our drugs are wants them to do you know like and so this is a global police type of network we have set up and it doesn't fucking work you know so what started out as just an american problem now it's all across the country or world you know yeah. it's an issue you know on a global scale 
And you know, with the people that like don't want to see it everywhere, because like I, I've I've met some like serious resistance to these questions. Like people get pissed when you say like, you know, just just the Ron Paul lines of like legalize heroin or something. People get yeah, like up in their feelings about it. Like, uh, I heard something like, uh, you don't know what kids are gonna do. You don't know what their life is. Uh, they keep secrets from their parents. They'll just try it if it's available. Blah, all that. And I'm like. Don't think so because it's readily available in my area and I knew better not to try it. Like, I think more so you'd have a better chance of having an honest dialogue with your kid because if you tell your kid everything's bad, then they're going to think all drugs are the same. But I'd be like, hey, um, you know, wait till you're older. 25 would be a good good number. I understand this country gave it to 21. But uh, yeah, the the longer you wait to do it, the uh, the better your outcome is going to be, but hey, I was I was sixteen and I had a drink, so I mean, like you know, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously I'm still drinking pretty literally later in life, so maybe that's not the best case scenario. But I, it, it's the fact that it's really available. Like I told you before this, I've tried dozens of other things that supposedly are much more addicted to alcohol, and I, I hey, I think I'm defeating my own argument here with the readily availability of alcohol. <laughs> but no, I, I was able to get my hands on these other things. Um, well, I mean, and, yeah. and the, the, the thing too is that, okay, maybe not your ecstasy, maybe not your acid, but certainly your opiates, certainly your, you know, cocaine, certainly your amphetamines, these are all available in CVS and in, in a lot of family homes in the mm. medicine cabinet, you know, like, so this, this idea that somehow allowing these other versions to come in fruition and hit the free market and get out of the back alleyways is going to lead to more use, like, Dude, my 80-year-old next-door neighbor is not going to start using black tar heroin because it came out. Yeah. There's a 0% chance his grandkids are going to come over and find a spoon in a rig, you know, sitting on his coffee table. It's not going to happen. It's crazy to think otherwise. Yeah. And, you know, to think that you can somehow legislate the type of paternal instincts that would prevent you know, uh, these type of situations from happening is just foolhardy. I mean, what do we see now? We see horrible parents as it is. And what are they doing? They're cooking meth in their bathtub because they can't buy it anywhere else. Like if anything, you would prevent a lot of the child consumption problems that we see today by having it be a legal product, by having an honest and open dialogue in the market in between retailer and consumer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, that's, that's more the that's, point I was trying to make before I, I kind of undermined it by overthinking. But uh, yeah, no, I like that's kind of what I say. Like, do you are you going to go out and try it tomorrow? Like, are you really just because it's legal? Like yeah. weed? Yeah, I think a lot of people would. They legalize meth. I do not. I don't see it. I don't see a lot of people going out and just trying it. Like neither, man. And, and you didn't see it when Portugal did it. You saw like like a one percent uptick right away and then right back to the levels it was already at. And you know what? Yeah, yeah if they I'll be honest, like done coke before okay i don't i don't do coke all the time uh if they legalized it and you had some medical grade coke i'd be like all right i'm gonna try that only one time <laughs> you know well and, and here's the thing too but is not, that like how could yeah. you trust any data that would actually come out after legalization i mean even if it showed an uptick well yeah because you made a substance legal so of course people are going to start acknowledging yeah i do this substance but they were doing it beforehand yeah that's not a new user that's an existing user yeah so it's just, it's crazy talk. Um, I, I don't know. Like I, I do, this is all I sit around and think about God all the time. <laughs> That's how I got you on. And, and, yeah. And, and, and where I go with that, with that data collection and, and with all of that is that they had, you know, during the prohibition before and after, right? Like, so <clears throat> for alcohol, um, America's booziest years on record was in the 1850s. 
yeah. with like a crazy amount of, of alcohol being consumed. Uh, fast forward to like 19, whenever prohibition started, that had already decreased in half. Okay. The amount of consumption on average per person per year. Now there are some stats or data for during those prohibition years on how much the average American was drinking, but you can't even trust those. Yeah. Um, because I mean, who the hell? I mean, Statistics are basic, all messed up. Yeah, dude, it's all jacked up. But afterwards, right? It was no noticeable difference. Yeah. It was the same rate of alcohol consumption before. So it's safe to say that rather than having new users or, or new people drinking, I mean, Granted, you made the counterculture and speakeasy is the thing. I think it was kind of glamorized there for a little bit. So maybe, but by and large, man, it was still the same people before prohibition and after prohibition that were continuing to drink. And even today, man, like we aren't far above where it was at whenever prohibition ended. So that's, yeah, that's kind of a generational thing, but yeah, like you said, statistics are jacked up. So there's really no way to trust it. I think there's more uh, of like a social aspect to like the two that are super prevalent, smoking weed and alcohol. But it's yeah. also because, I mean, well, I, I think alcohol is worse than some of them, but there is that social aspect. It's okay in like every situation. I don't really like, I bet you got like, you know, probably when you're using, you got like two or three people you use with or something sometimes, but like, it's not really a large socially acceptable thing. I don't think there's going to be like a meth dive bar anytime soon. Dude, <laughs> here's, I would be so weirded out. I mean, that's just <laughs> paranoia comes with the territory. It's not even the fact that you're doing an illicit activity. Like when you get far enough into a good meth binge, speaking from experience, like the last thing you want to do is get around a whole bunch of people yeah. and just hang out, man. Like it's different. That ain't the way that it is. Um, heroin's the same way. Like you don't see shooting galleries with like just a million people just hanging out over themselves. Like that yeah. didn't happen. That yeah. would never happen. I would always see like, crazy? uh, like the same two guys who would just score and just do it together or something just cause that's how <laughs> yeah. that was it. They both had the day off, but like, no, like, there's no parties around it or anything. Like, like bubbles on the wire, like the, you know, him and him and that guy, who was the guy who was, have you seen the wire? I've seen the first season twice and I, I, I like it. And then I never end up finishing it. I got to do it. That's so good. Yeah. It's so good. What's his uh, face just but, died actually. Uh, Omar. Yeah, Bennett. he did. Yeah. It, because of drug policy. Because of Let's drugs. be real about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it was a, uh, and you know, so the big thing right now is people are saying that, you know, people are overdosing and while yes, it is an overdose. Um, it's actually miscategorized, you know, on some of this stuff, um, especially when it comes to heroin is that, whether it's cross-contamination or malicious uh, cutting of the drug, you know, of heroin mm -hmm. with fentanyl, um, that's what happened to, I can't remember the guy's name, uh, Omar was his character on the yeah. show, but um, he, um, that, that would be called drug poisoning if he did not have prior knowledge that the fentanyl was present in the drug at the time of consumption. So, exactly. um, Like in Prohibition, you had uh, all that wood alcohol that was like, that was like killing people. That would like they might count that as a statistic to the uh, overall alcohol consumption, but it wouldn't really make it any any sense because no store would be selling that like if it, if it was like you know a reputable. You said the term before. I, I, I'm trying to word it right, but yeah, if yeah, it was yeah. yeah a reputable dealer, what? Yeah, a reputable retailer at the retailer. time. Like, and here's the other thing is that the U.S. government actually poisoned certain casks of alcohol during the prohibition era to affect, you know, the actual consumers. Uh, 
fun fact, I don't know if you remember or not, but what is it called? Paraquat? Paraquat? It was something they sprayed on the pot fields during the 70s and 80s. Um, and the official story was that they were attempting to kill the fields and that the actual, you know, drug, the narcos at the time, instead of just letting all that weed go to waste, they just went ahead and harvested whenever their plants ended up dying and they shipped it off. You know, they aged the pot and they shipped it off. Well, consumers started smoking this obviously poison marijuana. I think, you know, I don't put it past anybody, man. I think that was a, a willfully malicious thing that, you know, the DEA did. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't put it past anything going like that now. I mean, they know what they're letting into the country somewhat. I, so, mm-hmm. But I mean, how do you, how do you control the fentanyl trade? Uh, like compared to that? I, I mean, it's coming in and it's so, and the thing is like that too, like that, that seems like an obvious move for the dealers themselves because it's such a small amount. Smuggling is so much easier. You get an infinite times more. Yeah. But, um, and I mean, even then fentanyl in itself wouldn't be an issue if it was dosed properly and you knew what you were getting. Like people Absolutely. don't, yeah, they take it every day. Some people, yeah. but like, yeah. Yeah. To, to, and that's the other thing is that like the scare tactics behind fentanyl um, and, and the way the media spends it, it's like, dude, this stuff has been around for a long, long time. Like this isn't just like a brand new thing. Now granted, we, it, it's recently new in the broad scheme of things, as far as the drug illicit drug trade in the, in the States goes. Um, but, and this is just a hunch, man, I could be wrong, but I think that what we see more often than not is cross-contamination. Hmm. Um, then we, then we see actual malicious cutting. Now, the reason I say that is because it's starting to show up in meth. It's starting to show up in cocaine and fentanyl is just one of the many, many things that, you know, ends up in these drugs. Um, I got to interview, uh, dance safe, uh, is an organization that's been around for years and years and years. You, you nodded your head. I I heard that one. Yeah. I heard that episode. Yeah, they they have been doing a lot of great work. And uh, unfortunately, with their volunteers, she wasn't able to give me any real kind of like hard statistical data for, you know, what's showing up in drugs um, at these festivals because they they support the nightlife community and the rave scene and all that. But they do see like a lot of trash, you know, and other substances beyond, you know, what was supposed to be in the in the drug. And these are not things that we worry about when we buy Bud Light, when we buy our Smirnoff vodka, when we buy a bottle of aspirin, you don't have to worry mm-hmm. about what is in that package. So these are all things that are consequences of a black market. And uh, the only way to fix it is to just like, let the market do what it does. Take it out of the back alley. Let these people produce, manufacture, do what they do in a actual setting not in some field in the middle of mexico you know what i'm saying yeah Uh, seriously it's uh yeah i I mean i really just i think just full-on legalization of everything is really the only answer i mean you're you're gonna have people making the same decisions they are with just uh better information available yeah absolutely and as an addict like in recovery like my number one thing the one thing that i want to see is i want to help that next person who's struggling that's it that's all i care about that's my purpose, you know, um, for anybody in the audience that is listening, like you can look at the 12 steps and the 12 step talks about like taking what you've learned and spreading it, giving it to somebody else, helping out that next person. That is my goal. That is my creed. That is my charge, right? Hmm. That is what I've been charged to do. 
that doesn't happen if that addict is dead because of draconian drug policy. If we had drug policy that was more in line with an honest and open dialogue in a free market, there's a good chance that that addict will be able to survive until their point of desperation hits and they actually want to go to a meeting, Mm. you know, because as it stands right now, man, that is iffy. It's iffy, you know, it's a, it's a roll of the dice. Like why not give the consumer the best possible opportunity to take a substance with full knowledge of what they're getting, the confidence that they are not being, uh, you know, Shanghai or, or sold something besides what they believe that they're ingesting. Um, yeah. I don't know where I was going with that. Yeah, I do. I was just saying like, that's a, that's a much better scenario. And as a logically consistent member of the recovery community, uh, it's a no brainer that legalization is the way to go. So, um, obviously clean libertarian, you describe yourself as a libertarian, uh, any kind of addition onto that? Like, would you, um, I know a lot of people in the libertarian community right now would consider themselves to be uh, anarchist or Jew. Yeah. Here's the yeah. thing, man, is that like, when it comes to theory, like a lot of these people are so smart. Like you recently had Patrick McFarlane on, like that dude is a, here's the funny thing. When I first started getting into libertarianism, Liberty Weekly was the podcast that I started listening to. Through that podcast, I learned about a lot of the more nuanced portions of what liberty actually means i got onto you know got into pete kionez got into dave smith got into a lot of these other uh podcasts but that's kind of like that red pill how it started to formulate and happen for me and i'm not there like a lot of these guys are college educated you know like that's what they do they read these books like dude i read star wars novels and recovery literature like that's (laughs) you know so i consider myself a libertarian based upon the idea and conception that I have in my head of that, you know? Um, Yeah. Minarchist, anarchist, all that. I I just stay the fuck away from it, man. Like I just want drug policy to go the way that I want it to go. And I think that that aligns with the libertarian idea. See, cause what I was, I was going uh, more for is uh, I, I, I'm libertarian kind of like the anarchy ideas. Don't want to call myself that, you know, just like uh-huh. there's no real libertarian. Believe me, don't start with the anarchist. That's a whole nother level. There's no real anarchist, <laughs> but right. yeah, they'll go, they'll go back and forth. So I don't, I don't give myself the label. Um, the ideas of anarchy uh, or like specifically uh, anarcho-capitalism, I feel tend to be some of the more consistent ones. I like the guys who describe themselves as that. I think those are some of the uh, better thought leaders in the community. And I, I just from uh, several of the people you've named, I think at least two of them would still call themselves that. But yeah. um, mainly what I was getting at is, so at least even with libertarianism and the real hands-off approach to control and letting people make their own choices, bodily autonomy, all of that. Um, one more little question before I finish that. Uh, do you think there's anybody beyond help like with these kind of things? Are there, are there certain, is there some people who just, you don't think there's any chance of fixing or getting like, better? It- and and the sense of like the recovery community, yeah. like drug addicts and stuff like that. Do you like think there's that. anybody too far gone? I don't think even in a ideal future where we have the ideal setup, you're still going to have addicts who die. You're still going to have people who cannot fucking stop. It's terrible. I mean, we see it with alcohol, right? Like we, I, I have watched, I had a, a, a uh, guy I grew up with, man. We, we played... Mm-hmm 
our our moms were friends like we played together all the time when we were kids like he drank himself to death he was one year older than me i'm 36 so he was 37 wildly successful um he was an executive in the sports industry like this dude had it all could not stop drinking legitimately drank himself to death and he knew it that's the thing too it it wasn't like oh all of a sudden like he was warned consistently for years by doctors like dude look get help or you're going to die yeah he had every opportunity he had the insurance he had the money to go to any rehab any recovery center so and he still died so i think that there are some people and I hate saying, I don't think anybody is beyond reach, but I think through circumstance and through um, just the way this vicious world is, man, it's just the gruesome reality, you know, that some people aren't going to make it regardless of what the hell's going on. Yeah. So I, I guess is yeah, there's just not much you can do. I, uh, I guess really what I was getting at, like you said, uh, you don't get too much into like the philosophy of like all uh, these things like you, uh, or whatever, like they, like you were saying, the college educated guys who just read all these books and have endless time to just think about theory. Uh, yeah. You know what? In the in the ANCAP idea, I was just really getting at like, do you think there's any like? I guess I was gonna say like, what what would you suggest doing for people in that situation? But it sounds like you've already kind of reached a conclusion. Some people, everybody's got to do it for themselves, and you know, you just can't mm-hmm. reach out to those people. So no, I mean, I that's kind of the thing is that I gave up. I gave up on that crusade a while back to try to, you know, change some people's minds. Like it is what it is, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, the best that I can do is present the arguments that I can. And that's what it's going to be. I'm sorry that I keep misunderstanding you, man, when you keep asking that question and I keep messing it up, but I think, um, (laughs) but uh, like, that's kind of one of those things, man. I talk to people, I'm actually getting my sponsor to come around to some of this stuff, to some of this crazy shit. So if I, if I can get him to kind of listen, like, I think there's a chance that there's some other people that can listen. Um, But uh, all in all, man, I don't know. The, I got you. No, it's a, it's a tough question, man. I feel you. It's, it's, it's a hard answer. It's like, what, what do you do when there's some people who can't help themselves other than be hands off? I guess more, I was getting the thoughts of, uh, you know, when it's affecting other people's lives, uh, you know, somebody who's, uh, like you got a neighbor who just literally drunk drives through your neighborhood every week. Like, uh, well, see, there's that. Yeah. One of the other things that I think about too, is that like in an ideal, anarchist and cap society like what do you do about the parents who like use drugs to the extent that they neglect their children mm. like what does that look like is there an ANCAP dhs like i don't understand or cps like yeah like, i know it's, it's, some of that's weird to me but see that that gets it's just even mentioning that just now to you, like that's so far in the weeds that I'm just like, eh, don't want to think about it. <laughs> I know. You just do what you just do what you can grasp, like get your hands that's on for to help people. And and then, yeah, the real like big questions. I, I know it's, it's tough to picture, but, uh, you know, that's uh, that's one of those. Uh, we'll tackle that later. Kind of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. Like, yeah. I'll tell you, like the, the Sal, the agorist, the. Uh, Jose Galison, I don't know if you know who he is yeah, or I'm not. Familiar with both. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of these guys, you other people who like are able to think about this stuff, I love listening to it. It's 
And every now and again, man, like I'll listen, I'm like, shit, that's good. You know, and I'll, I'll kind of adopt that for a minute. And then it's like a month later, somebody has something wildly different, you know, and I'm like, shit, that makes sense too. I don't know what to think anymore. You know what I mean? So I don't know, man, I think a lot of this stuff, it's destined to remain theory and all the while, like all this other crazy shit's happening with lockdowns and mandates and everything else. And it's like, I don't know if we will ever be able to test our theories right, on who was right or who was wrong. Um, But yeah, in, in that sense of the, of the whole thing. Yeah, dude, the kid thing is where, where I get kind of like, you know? Yeah, exactly. No, there's, there's a lot of questions left open. I mean, that's why I like to think about these things because I advocate for moving more towards a society with, like less government. And and I mean, it, it, it almost seems like it goes like full circle. Like these anarchists, uh, a lot of them eventually, like they start going the Hoppian route and uh, then they got some solutions there, but then it starts to seem almost a little more authoritarian on a micro scale. Like they, they are like, hey, um, everybody gets to go design their other community, but we're going to kick you the fuck out so fucking hard if you're on that degenerate shit. <laughs> physically removed you yeah. uh yeah yeah so that's what we're doing now. i'm like guys i don't i don't know that's too much let me ask you this um pre-pandemic pre-government you know lockdowns mm-hmm. and everything to where you are now like has your political philosophy changed oh yeah definitely definitely a in ton, what way? yeah and um i i definitely uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I was hanging out at the, it, you know, it gave me time to think. I, I, it gave me a lot more time to think about my ideas. I don't know if I've changed at, well, actually I did change um, somewhat for the first time. I've taken that political compass and it, that's not everything, but it, you know, I can plot you. It, it can see where your ideas move at least a little bit. Like maybe not the exact points are a good way of like describing your thoughts or anything, but if the dot moves, you can see, Hey, I got more right wing or Hey, I got less authoritarian or something. And for the first time during the pandemic, yeah, I did. I'd moved much more to the right and much more anti-authoritarian during this. Cause it just, I mean, look outside. (laughs) It got worse. Yeah. Yeah. The grips of control got out of hand. And I mean, before that, I mean, like I've changed so much like 2016. uh, I didn't like Hillary. I liked Hillary less than Trump. That's where I was at politically. I was just like, oh, yeah, I guess this Trump guy's better. And like, you know, just complete surface level. And like, that was like three months before when Trump gave his first speech. I'm like, this guy's an idiot. And then somewhere along the line, I fell for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I, uh, I I worked my way out of that. Um, I, I had always kind of been listening to more people in the libertarian scene, but almost those guys who catered more towards, you know, almost like they're libertarian, but they somehow still love Trump and just like the chaos that he represented. And that's where I was at. I was at the fuck the system. Yeah. So, so what, this guy's going to screw it up. Well, fucking everything's screwed up. Screw it. And, uh, collapsitarian real quick. Oh, I just knocked that off. I literally, that's, that's, that's the news. I went, I was still collapsitarian throughout the pandemic. I'm like, this whole thing's fucked. Then I finally came to the conclusion just like a month or two ago, like not very long. I was just like, yeah, I don't think anybody thinks like me. If this shit goes to shit, they're going to come up with some wacky ideas. <laughs> Dude, I mean, that's kind of the thing is that like what happens in your local community if and when that system topples? Oh, yeah. Not not just with you don't just have to worry about like, do you agree with your neighbors or not? But you also have to worry about new cats coming into town. Like, where the hell do you live? Like, do you live secluded enough to where you don't have to worry about that? Or do you live metropolitan enough that you do? 
you know, because um, that's kind of the deal, man. Um, I know that's why I've wanted to uh, one of the things. head to like New Hampshire, like free staters or something, surround myself with like, I'm like, hey, things are going to shit. I should probably have like the most people around who do kind of see things my way. And yeah, <laughs> yeah just, just go uh, as close to that as possible. But, uh, you know, as things, uh, the one thing I worry about as things collapse, uh, people start to get more rigid. They go that uh, Hoppian way, which is somehow like, still anarchist, but like, still like they, they start going with hard physical removal. I go, do I get physically removed? I, I haven't stopped drinking yet. I don't know. I still, <laughs> are they going to kick me out? <laughs> you gotta, I got to read some hop and get some one-liners, man. So that way I can be like initiated into the club. Uh, yeah, I, I don't guess. know enough about it. And I, I've, I've seen some hot takes that I'm not sure I necessarily agree with, but I haven't read it enough to hear the full argument. I've, I've heard a couple speeches the guy's given, but, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I'm not, I'm not a hoppian. Uh, no, I maybe mean, I will be after I read it, but who knows? What? Here's the thing. Like I, I have read some theory, not much, but like one of the, uh, one of the books I enjoyed, I didn't get all the way through it, but I read a large chunk of it was the left, the right, the state mm-hmm. by uh, Lou Rockwell. Like that was a great read. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to like hop, he could be one of the most prolific, profound people ever in the Liberty community but his followers have ensured that I will never buy one of his fucking books. Yeah. Like I, not all of them. I'm not, I don't want to say like every Hoppian's a piece of shit. Cause it's just not the case, but there's enough edge Lords that say some off the wall shit that I'm just like, this isn't something that sounds like it would be a good fit for me. Yeah. Like I, I want to promote as much like autonomy and like choice as possible. And, mm-hmm. um, like one of the things I know he's talked about, like the time preference, like a lot of one of the things he gets accused of is like, you know, uh, being homophobic or something. They, they harp on that. I try to take the pieces that are good and sort them from the pieces I don't necessarily agree with, because I, I personally like I'm, I'm pro LGBTQ rights and all that. And uh, I, I is that enough to get me physically removed? <laughs> like, See, you know, I don't yeah. <laughs> See, like, I'm just like, hey, I don't know. I'm not on board with everything. I'm like, I, I can't, can't they do that over there? And they're like, no, it's going to fuck up our town. I'm like, oh, this sounds authoritarian again. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't mind high time preference activities for somebody else. Like, yeah. I play, I play video games and shit. Like, is that okay? Like, yeah. is that too high time? What, what is high time preference for you? Like, what is that a sliding scale? Yeah. Like, who determines that? Who determines the time preference? Do you measure that out? I don't know. It's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. No, I've got, I've gotten a lot more than my circle. I just kind of stay quiet when they get into like the things like that. But I, I'm like, hey, I, I, when do I, when do I speak up? I'm just like, hey. <laughs> What, uh, yeah. what's going on? Let's, uh, let's I, like, I don't know. Can my gay friend come over? Like, what the hell? <laughs> Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> I will say some of their memes are fucking hilarious. No, like I, I, I absolutely laugh at them, but some I think they've, shit, I'll man. give them, I think they've thought about things a lot harder than most, most people yes. do in their life. Like they're deep into the philosophical realm, but, uh, I don't know. It, uh, I'm definitely more think- like what? I think you lose a part of your soul if you look into that abyss for too long. Mm. I think that there is a place where you can mind fuck theory for so long and it's past the point of no return. It almost seems to be kind of like schizo type of, it's just, it fucks with you, man. You know, it's a lot. And I get it, man. If you, it's like taking that black pill, right? It's like sitting there thinking about how doomed we all are. If you stay in that place for too long, man, like 
you're never going to realize that oppression has been around since forever, hmm. right? There's been rise and fall of societies left and right, yet humans still live on. So, I mean, somewhere in the midst of everything, somewhere in the muck, there's a glimmer of hope. You just got to find it. Hmm. And I don't think that you find it if you dive too far into a specific theory or ideology that way, right? Of course. I yeah. I don't know, man. It's almost like blinders, right? Like you, you train yourself to find a specific problem and all of a sudden that problem starts to formulate where it never actually was. Yeah. Um, and you yeah, end up building like a theoretical framework that might have no place in reality. Like, yeah, dude. You know, yeah. like, like, it's you dangerous. know, even Pete, like uh, Pete talks about, like I was saying, the, uh, the living, uh, living in your, um, in Ancapistan in your head, I think is the quote. I don't know. He yeah. talks about like, even that, like, yeah, you spend so much time. Like I like talking about the theory, but at a certain point, like I realize, like I'm only doing it like really to like a mental masturbation state. Like I just, I like thinking about these ideas, sorting through them. But yeah, like you said, you can just get tied down in that forever. And I think one of the better decisions is to just, like I said, you know, what, what you can actually work with what you're doing. You're like, Hey, I just, I know legalizing drugs is is going to help in the long run. I, I can at least see that far. I don't know what all the answers are. I don't have all the philosophical takes on how it works. I just have this one thing that I know is, or I see to be true, and I'm, I'm going to work towards it. But I think that that's kind of, I think if more people did that, mm -hmm. we would be a lot better off. Like if we had people yeah. like Scott Horton is wonderful about talking about ending the wars. He knows that. Yeah. That's what he does. That is his home. And he does it so well that it has, that message has resonated with people. If we had respect of Scott Hortons, and that, that's just people who have podcasts and stuff like that. But even beyond that, even just having casual conversations with your coworker, like you don't have to sell every single point of this philosophy. Yeah. Find what you know, talk about that and let that be the jumping off point, yeah. you know? And who knows, man, like, if you red pill somebody with something that you're really good on, like if I'm really good on drug policy, if I can pass that on to somebody else, who knows what they are good on that once they start diving into the philosophy, not only can they learn and help spread that message, but they can also inform me. And there's no shame in not being a fucking master on every single little nuance, man. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have any shame in that, at least personally. I don't know. Maybe I get my libertarian card revoked for that, but yeah. I'm okay with it. I guess I, I guess I see myself uh, surrounded by a lot of those people who are specialists in one subject. And then I, I do the problem in my head where I'm like, these guys got it all figured out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That FOMO type of thing. Yeah. Uh, that's how I get to, I get that way too. That's why like, you know, I wound up somehow or another on a fucking podcast with Sal the Agorist and Jose Gallison and God bless those two, because it was a, it was supposed to be a debate. Uh, I, had, I was supposed to have somebody else on the affirmative on my side talking about, cause you know, Sal and Jose are both avid agorists. Like that is their thing. Yeah. And I was arguing that, you know, some political involvement makes sense. And uh, somehow like the person who was supposed to be there with me, who was, supposed to carry that fucking conversation wasn't able to make it and so here i was with sal and jose oh boy and, i would uh, not want to be in there uh, on the opposite uh, side Jeez. they 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 noticed the handicap and were just absolutely gracious it was a great conversation it wasn't bad at all uh, yeah, but it could have been yeah. could have been a bloodbath man yeah, it could have been. been bad yeah yeah it's <laughs> yeah they could have and i mean that's like i mean 
seriously, like, yeah, you're talking like two of the best, like, best agorists out there. Like, just like, yes. for, yeah, it's that's without a doubt. Th- those are some real heavyweights. And like, <laughs> yeah. I a lot of the time, like, I mean, I don't know. I, I like I see some people like I see the memes making fun of agorists and stuff and just like, oh, you, you think you're just going to completely separate. But at the same time, we're talking about like just specializing in your thing. I think one of the best things you can do is try to separate yourself as much as possible. I, I do sometimes see them as the smartest guys in the room, you know? Absolutely, the man. I, I, who yeah. is that guy? He has the, uh, oh, shit. He's got the duck farm, Jack Spearco. That's his name. Is it Spearco? I don't know. He, he's kind of a loose agorist, but I mean, what he's done is, you know, he grows food. He's an entrepreneur. He's figured out how to like counter economics. He's done it. Like he has built his own little empire in his own way underneath the table. And like, that makes sense to me. Like that part of agorism, I get it. Like I can, I can grasp that mentality in my head, like growing your own food, creating a community, at least a business community amongst friends, amongst family, like networking enough to where you can create a sustainable lifestyle based upon the sweat of your brow without having to be on the books. Like I get that. And that makes sense to me. It's the other shit, you know, it's like, I don't understand Bitcoin. I don't get it. Dude. Like, I don't understand it at all. Try as I might, that shit scares me. I don't understand it. You know, so it's like, yeah. oh, back to me being about drug policy. <laughs> well, if that's all that's keeping you from agorism, believe me, that stuff's great. Just just love the Bitcoin. Embrace it. <laughs> <laughs> right on. I, I bought some Dogecoin when it was like 0.001. Like it wasn't even a penny yet. And I got paper hands when it hit seven cents and like looking at where it's at now i'm like yeah i don't need to be fucking with that stuff anymore man i don't know when to sell and when to hold i don't know well that one well you know what i this is not financial advice first off i'd stay away from dogecoin whoever you are that is casino coin they're literally printing they print a thousand per it's like it's pretty quick i think it's a thousand per minute so essentially if when it was at its peak like 77 that means like 1000 what is it like I, I don't know. It's a, it's a huge percentage. Like basically it has to keep having money flow into it at a rate where it's always devaluing itself. So, and, and they wanted to change. So it, it never but, yeah. stops. There's not like a cap to how many can be in existence. It describes itself as a joke. No, like literally the only way that could go up is if people were just throwing, 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 throwing money in. And basically all it is, is it's whoever's like left with the bag. Like if you bought too high, you lost. There was a lot of room to ride it, but I, I just never even touched that one because it was just, it was insane to me. I'm like, there's no value to this. I don't like, all it is is hype. And it was just because everyone and their mother was buying it at the time that it got so high, but I have no shame in not playing that. I have friends who made like real quick in like an hour or two, like two grand. And they're like, I fucking did it. I stuck it in and it came out. And I'm like, wow. But I also put it to like, I'm like, yeah, it, it basically there's like for every winner, there's a loser, like dollar to dollar in that. So right. it really like, I, I, I see it as like taking advice from somebody who just hit the jackpot on, on a slot machine. They're like, this is it. This is, this is how I retire. I do this all the time. Now I just play slot machine and I'm like, <laughs> yes. I'm glad it worked yeah. once, bud. Try it again. <laughs> like screaming at Reddit. Where's the fucking memes at? I need to know what to buy next. Like yeah. that's where I was at. I bought, I bought Doge going on. This was during the whole, and I don't know, is GME still going crazy as far as the stock markets go? Uh, I it's it's up, but it's kind of going sideways. I don't think it's anything worth getting into. I think that ship has sailed. I has all, all the stuff they talk about, like with the um 
they just it's it's an, it's the same problem to a lesser degree because it's not devaluing itself constantly but you need more suckers to keep pumping that up like sure right. somebody made it they can show it off but that's the same guy who's just like hey more suckers come in give me another dollar like <laughs> yeah it, it's yeah. not it, it's it's all based on hype and eventually it's gonna end even if it's going sideways right now i doubt it's ever gonna have another massive boost like it has in the past and they really? rely on like a lot of the guys at the top rely on so many things like like they like I was reading a white paper with this kid who was literally just lying. He said he like he's insane, and I just called him out just publicly. I'm like, your paper trading that's not real. You're not a millionaire. He literally like a few days later, like I I feel for the guy. He's like obviously like messed up, but like because he was he said on a smaller channel that he was like literally couldn't find housing. I'm like, you're a five millionaire. No, you know, you can't find housing. <laughs> I get we live in a state where it's like, you know, it's a, it's a literally unreasonably priced, but you're a five millionaire. Like, right. And he's like, oh, right. I'm not selling any of it until a certain day. And then he bought a car like the week later with cash. And I was like, but you weren't selling it. And eventually he just blocked what? me. <laughs> I just kept calling him out because I'm like, this is insane. Like you're lying to people around you who think they have a chance because I have had friends who've like come to me like, hey, should I stick money in? I saw he made like five million dollars. I'm like, he fucking didn't. He's insane. And he's he, I, that's why I fucking hate this guy. But um, yeah, no, that's well, just, thank God just crazy. For people like you to kind of rein us other idiots back in whenever we get a. It, t- it takes a lot of research. Like, you're not, you're not an idiot. Like you said, you're just specializing in like a certain thing. And I'm not even completely specialized in that. I've just, I've been around the block a few times. I got in at 2017. So all these years later, now I got a sign, kind of a grasp on it. Like it just, it just right. takes doing it. But really what I do, I just buy more. I just see, I just see Bitcoin and Ethereum as being like the best assets of the next 25 years. I, I see them outperforming everything. Uh, it's it's predictable when it's going to go up to an extent like um, it's ever, like the next one's going to be like you'll hear it around the next election or something. It'll start taking off again. Probably really yeah, like 2025, probably. So like right after we get a president a few months after that, you'll see it pop up. It happens at this event called the having. Right. So the uh, basically they cut like, you know, they're running algorithms and stuff to mine this stuff. They got a bunch of computers right. running. The amount you get paid gets cut in half every 2100,000 blocks or something like the majority of it's already been mined like 80% but this next one gets cut fractionally 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 until it's like 2144 is like the last time one will be mined maybe because it's all based on just predictions of how fast computers are gonna get better or whatever and um yeah so I mean this it's it, it, it predictably is going to go up so I I basically this is an advice I just buy more and I wait and then I buy more and I wait. If it looks low, buy more. But really some of the best performing ones I see just stick $10 in every, whatever you're comfortable with first and 15th or something, or just some a small amount that you can forget about. Just throw it well, at what do you think, it and wait. What do you think about like the hard, hard currency? Like what do you think about like gold and silver and all that? Do you, do you oh, dabble yeah. in that? Uh, I got a little there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, I got I got a gold tooth in for those. Who can't keep that see. thing on me. He's I keep that thing on me. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I I I don't invest enough in that. Uh, my old co-host of uh, I did I did more of a political show. Now the only place I get into politics is this because I like to hear from other people rather than me and him who kind of know what each other thinks and we just rattle off like our take on the weekly things, which <laughs> you know was fun. But I there's there's other voices out there. I'd rather get some other people's ideas going, pick other people's brains instead of uh, me and the same guy going back and forth every week. But uh, he's a big, he, he's a big metals guy. He's a big, he's I mean, freaking, uh, yeah, he paid me back one time in silver. 
Yeah, he just gave me a coin. He's go. like, hey, this is what I owe you, right? I'm like, I'll take that. Yeah, I will, of Hell course. Yeah. I'm not going to spend it, but it's, fuck yeah. So I got like there you go. a little, uh, I don't know how much it was. It wasn't too, too much. Maybe an ounce. I don't know if that's a lie. It wasn't much. It was like 20 bucks or something at the time, which I think, yeah, it sounds like an ounce of silver. But anyway, yeah. Probably cool. gone up, guaranteed. You big on that, though? You like the gold? I don't do shit. I, I got none of that. Like, I... <laughs> Yeah. I, we just moved this year. Like the biggest agorist te- step that I've taken as far as like all of that was uh, I started growing food. Um, not this last season, but the season before it. Mm. And uh, we moved houses. And, you know, when we got this place, it was kind of too late in the season. So I got some raised beds in the backyard. I intend on tackling that again. Like one one of the things I would like to do is get to that level to where I can um, – actually like grow enough food for my family to eat on for at least throughout this, you know, harvest season. Um, yeah. And then after that would be kind of like the spot where I think, okay, maybe I should start investing into gold and silver and shit like that. But not, dude, I'm, I'm a, I'm a dip my toe in the water type of cat, you know, when yeah. it comes to that other stuff, man. Well, that's why that, that's, that's why I, I take the path with just dipping your toe in the water. If it's a small amount of money you can forget about, like that's always what I think the best is. Don't worry about where it's at. Just find something. There's probably some uh, gold. I know there's gold cryptos where you put it in supposedly like, you know, you'd, you'd get one to one if you wanted to claim it in gold. I believe that's how it works. I, really? Uh, like, well, they saved their, um, no, no, you know what it is? I don't think it's that you can claim gold. I think it's that the money they have is hard line to gold. So... They can. So it's what the U.S. dollar used to be. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a crypto that works closer to the gold standard with money or with fiat. Uh, okay. Uh, I, that might not be a perfect explanation. I'm, I don't know. I'm not invested in any of that. But uh, I'm sold, man. I'm buying some today. I go. I'll, <laughs> <laughs> it's not hard to convince me on that. That's yeah. easy enough. I mean, I say I, I don't know if uh, how those ones work, but I, I would say just putting in a small amount you can forget about. That's probably the yeah. best way to go. Don't worry about timing. Just consider it like a savings plan. I'll, gold should go up. Um, I don't. I, I don't know if it's what's going to go up better. But if you like gold better, you got your feelings on that. If you like crypto better, hell, if you like stocks or whatever, I mean, do that. But the, I, I think one of the better ways to invest is just dip in a little bit. You forget about and don't try to time anything. Just things you think will be successful in the long run. Like if it was Amazon right a few years ago and you see that going. I, I mean, I don't know how much bigger Amazon could get, but you know. <laughs> Maybe that's Jesus. one, but Where I'm just saying, you know, man. throw your money where you want. Probably not into that one. Jeff Bezos fucking sucks, but you know what I'm yeah, saying? Hey, don't, don't let it not make you money. You know, if it's going to be, if it's going to fucking quadruple in the next five minutes, fucking give Jeff Bezos a dollar. I don't care. Get your piece. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point, man. Yeah. Good point. Exactly. Like the, oh, there's the people who, um, people who complain about like, oh, you know, you, you make more taxes and then give more money to the war machine and stuff. It's like, fuck that. Stay, stay poor. Fuck you. Just, just fucking yeah, get yeah, your money. Yeah. Like, don't worry about that shit. Like, it's, yeah. participate, get yourself bigger, and be able to, like, elevate your voice, you know? Yeah. I can dig it, man. I can dig it. It's personal improvement, you know? Yeah. So, like, yeah, do what you can do. All right. I'll, I'll do one last thing here because I know we're coming up on our wrapping up. But uh, what was it? Uh, oh, one thing. Um, this is one of the things like, it, cause like I, I play in the philosophical, one of the things that like, I'm like, I think it's going to take me thinking myself into being sober through philosophy. But, uh, one of, one of the things I've, I've looked at is like the dependent being dependent on a substance makes you more dependent on the state. When I heard that, I didn't like that. Like 
if you're drinking, you're getting yourself into trouble. Say you're getting a DUI or something. You got court dates now. You're wrapped up. That's your money. Um, hell, say it winds you up in jail. Gets a harder time. It just it just undermines your ability to perform and makes you more reliant. Like eventually, yeah. it can get you to a point where you can't get a job and you got to take welfare. And then what? Mm-hmm. Now you're relying on that. You know. I mean, I guess. Yeah it'd be perfectly like moving towards a society where that's not judged anymore. And, uh, you know, there's no state to decide you can't have a job and that workplaces stop respecting that kind of thing. I mean, take it in consideration. I mean, like, you know, you said you had a felony. Yeah. I yes, mean, sir. I guess, I guess take one for what it is. I, I, I mean, I mean, I guess there wouldn't be felonies in that. I, I'm getting philosophical, <laughs> but, uh, no, you're good. I'm saying like, you know, like, I mean, take each guy, like there's a difference, uh, in felonies, you know, like, if a guy if a, if a guy comes in on the, on the interview and he's like I, I did murder a few folks but I'm over that I'm like well <laughs> I don't know I'm better now I'm but yeah now. if it was uh, yeah. somebody who used to have a substance abuse problems been clean for a long time and stuff like yeah I don't think that should ever bar you from having a job yeah. and I, I think just talking to somebody you could see that and also having it disclosed just if somebody was honest enough for me as an employer I'm gonna look out for it but you know I, I think it just it, it doesn't need to be a, a state assigned your life's ruined. <laughs> No, it, it doesn't. And but ironically, here's here's one of the things um, about the twelve step recovery process. And yeah. I don't know if you caught any of the episodes I did with Ash, uh, he's a friend of mine. He's actually writing a book right now, uh, and it's more or less about twelve steps of libertarianism. Mm-hmm. It's that the twelve steps the the twelve step rec- recovery community utilizes actually it's not far removed from making a step away from being dependent on the state and being dependent upon yourself. Uh, you're learning how to have individual responsibility. You're learning that you can't blame your problems on other people. You're learning how to be a productive member of a given community or society. Like everything aligns rather well with anarchy, libertarianism, any, any of the more liberty minded theory and philosophy. So um, that's kind of one of those things, man. It truly was for me, the avenue that I took is that the more that I learned how to have individual responsibility and I really applied these principles that I learned, it was a really easy step for me to take into libertarianism and adopting some of these philosophies and mentalities. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of weird how it worked out, but um, and I don't know if that's kind of one of those things where like, I'm just so into liberty that I'm able to kind of morph the 12 steps into that, uh, for a while there, I thought, well, maybe it is, maybe I'm just kind of like creating something out of nothing here. But when I got a hold of Ash and we started talking, it's like he, everything that I'd been thinking he mirrored and he's actually a writer. So he's making it happen. And I'm just reading this shit. I'm like, I'm not crazy. <laughs> it's not just me, man. Like this is real. Like yeah. you know, like it's cool to see. I think I heard but, it on uh, your show because the twelve step program. Uh, a lot of the time, I I don't think it's necessarily goes to like the Christian aspect, but they do say like it's a higher power. It's one of the mm-hmm. parts of it. So I, I think I might have heard it on your show, but it was saying like, yeah, libertarianism. Like, I mean, you can have like you can obviously bring Christianity into it, but libertarianism is basically just Christianity for people who haven't found God yet. <laughs> Like just the first parts or something like that. That might have been on my show. That sounds familiar though. And I might've been, I I forget where I heard it. I've been listening to a lot lately. Yeah, dude. That's always, I mean, that's good shit. You know, I mean, it it really is. And I think that that is kind of the way, but libertarian works in conjunction with pretty much any uh, ideology or any, um, you know, religion or. 
Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. There's a ton of atheists like within libertarianism Mm -hmm. too, but like just the personal responsibility and a lot of the things that Christianity preaches and stuff like, uh, like, or like the 12 steps you were saying, which I mean, it's like heavily tied, right? Like that has Christian roots, doesn't it? Oh dude. Yeah. Yeah. Big time Christian roots. Uh, you know, Dr. Bob and Bill W and Carl Jung, whenever this whole thing took off, like it, it came from like people practicing 15th century, uh, Christianity. Like there was absolutes, I think there was eight absolutes and somehow out of those eight absolutes, then the 12 steps were formulated. You know, uh, Bill W did that. I back that history is so profound and beautiful. Um, but throughout the history of AA, then other religions started coming into the mix. Other spiritual philosophies started coming into the mix and I do narcotics anonymous and um, we have our basic text and that's kind of like our big book. That's our recovery literature that we really utilize. And there's stories in the back of the book about atheists who are practicing atheists who have found recovery through the 12 steps. So it is a spiritual, not religious program like this. I'm getting kind of in the weeds, man. You're, you, you, you touched on that one point that I really dig about this program. And that is, that is applicable to anybody from any background, any walk of life, Yeah, you know? And I think that libertarianism is very much the same way. Yeah. Oh yeah. You see that. There's a, a lot of people have an idea of what a libertarian is and there's no such thing as a real libertarian is there's so no. many different ideas so many flavors, man. under this, under so this many little, flavors. Yeah. I think it's just general anti-authoritarianism is the only overarching uh, thing there. Not in, in it any degree. It makes my head hurt, though, some of the shit. Like, yeah. when they're like, I'm a libertarian, ANSOC, cap, um, you know, left-wing, right-wing, hoppy, and, you know, pseudoscientist, you know, oh, Machiavellian. And they'll make fun yeah. of people like, oh, you got 72 genders, and I'm this 75th political gender. <laughs> like... That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. No, everybody finds it in their own way, but people are really not that much different. Fuck no. Everybody just wants their own little identity, I think, is, you Mm -hmm. know, a lot of it. Uh, A lot of folks just (laughs) didn't have that. They kind of want to make it unique. They want to make it their own. And I I can respect it. That's fine. But it makes my head hurt. It really does. Well, we're running low on time here. And there was actually one last thing I want to say. So for anyone out there who's struggling right now, you know. What's the, other than uh, go listen to your podcast, what's the piece of advice you'd, uh, you'd give to somebody who needs help right now? I spent a lot of years trying to get clean. I spent a lot of years going to a meeting, getting a 24 hour chip and fucking it up within a matter of minutes after leaving. And um, somebody laid this on me. And I think this is really important is that it's all just one big try. It doesn't matter how many fucking times it takes to get clean and find long lasting recovery. The biggest thing is that you continue to come back. Continue to find us. AANACA, Refuge Recovery Church, um, whatever it is, find your home, find your spot, and keep coming back until you get this. Yeah. You know, um, if I can get it, you can too. Oh, yeah. And I mean, that, that kind of goes pretty universally. I mean, that's just getting better at anything. And, you know, anything, man. Yeah. You, you want to get good at something, practice at it, even sobriety. Yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell addiction, am I being detained? There it is. That's how you <laughs> Uh, I like that. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to end. Uh, Wrap that up. That's it. Or unless you got anything else real quick. No, no, absolutely. I just, like I said, man, this was a a honor and a privilege. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, Anybody want to check out the podcast, hit me up. Yeah. Any uh, more plugs? Libertarian. Nah, that's it. Clean Libertarian. All right. Yeah. Um, Freaking. Oh, wait. No, no, no. Sober Caucus. Isn't that something you do? Oh, shit. Yeah, I almost <laughs> forgot. Um, the Libertarian Party, we, we are creating the Sober Caucus. 
just a group of people in the party who, whenever there's an event or a convention or anything that the idea in the long run is to have a group of people there who are practicing recovery or just absolutely abstaining from, from stuff. So um, find us on Twitter, find us on Facebook. If that seems like something you want to help us achieve, help that goal be created. The big goal on the horizon is to have a hospitality room in Reno that will not have any alcohol or any of that other crazy shit going on. Uh, Not that we, we, we're not looking down people who do imbibe, but we do realize that there is an importance to have a space for people who maybe that's not their scene. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I like it. Okay. Well, thanks for, thanks for coming on. And, uh, that's it for trash talks. Have a good night, everybody. Peace.